Here we go. Welcome, welcome, welcome. The You Should Do Comedy Podcast. Another episode coming your way. I'd like to welcome my guest for this episode, uh, Van Dodd Kadar. How are we doing, buddy? Hello. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Vincent? I'm doing well. Um, slowly getting to know each other here, yeah. kind of uh, coming ways via the social media uh, realm. Yep. But um, Toronto, well, Iranian born, Toronto based. You live in Montreal, but you're a constantly touring comedian yeah is that the, is that the life of the i guess you consider yourself an og comic a, a touring comic one that's always on the road i mean yeah i've been i've been at comedy for about 12 years now so you know we're we're getting there i obviously there's some people who've been doing it for like 30 40 so i'm not i'm not in their category but you know we're doing our thing we're doing our thing we're getting by you know well, I mean, anybody who's kind of been doing this industry or doing been in the, the comedy industry for, you know, well over five, six years has sort of gotten a, a pretty good landscape of how the art form and everything needs to be conducted. But I mean, a lot has, a lot has changed a lot in the last I mean, comedy 12 years ago when you started is a hell of a lot different than what it was 12 months ago or 12 days ago. Exactly. I mean, how do you find yourself coping with a lot of stuff that's sort of been online and the whole going viral bit and you producing i mean you're not just a comic you you produce shows you yeah that's the thing i produce shows so i've been producing them uh basically two weeks into starting comedy and i produce now more than i perform to be honest a lot of times i have shows all over ontario and i'll be in montreal or i'll be somewhere else and i'll just be kind of running them on my phone so i think to answer your question you just got to adapt it's hard it's it's you can't always you know be current with everything but you just got to try like it's hard to go viral. You can't really fake it. You just kind of got to get lucky. But, you know, just being on those platforms, uh, adapting to it. Social media is like a big, big, huge part of my ticketing, you know, but it's also the booking, the meeting, the venues, talking to the owners, getting the comics. It's all social media. So do you yeah, remember your first stand up like uh, the first place you performed? Yeah. Uh, first place I ever performed was at Hotbox. So you're you're from Toronto, right? Or, Correct. Yeah, yep. you know Hotbox. You know the remember Hotbox Cafe in Kensington Market. Yep, yep. The weed yeah, cafes. Like a, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So for your fans who don't know, it's like a weed cafe. It was uh, way before legalization. You used to be able to go smoke up there, have a nice little coffee, whatever. Um, Woody Harrelson would go there all the time and just randomly play chess with people. But yeah, it was their <laughs> ten year anniversary show, or it was their ten year anniversary event. And I knew the owner, and I was like, "Hey, I, can I do stand up?" She's like, "Yeah, sure." So I just I did stand up during. Hold that on, can you do stand up? Meaning there was no show implemented. There was. Uh, it was just like a ten year anniversary event. You know, they had musicians, they had like a few performers, speeches, whatever. Just like a party. It was like a ten year anniversary party. But I just asked her if I could just do some stand up there, and she's like, "Yeah, go for it." Now you the know, indie I didn't know what scene. I was doing. The indie scene in, 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 in comedy, especially here in Toronto, like a metropolis that is Toronto. But I mean, yeah. it, it's it's very ex kind of it's it's yeah, it's that underground kind of crowd. So when you get into like pot rooms, yeah, it's very like you got to know where to go and where to find the right, you know, people are kind of particular when it comes to that stuff. But to me, I'm not a pot smoker. I mean, yeah, I've smoked pot and a lot of stuff. But to me, to consume comedy in a pot room. It must be such a mind trip because does anybody ever have a bad set? 
Like, <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Because so, wouldn't everything just oh, be man. fucking hilarious? <laughs> yeah. So Mike Rita used to run this show at, at Vape. It's called Vapor Central, Young and Bloor. Mm-hmm. Um, and at its peak, he would get like two hundred plus people in there every single Sunday. It was huge. It kind of like made his career. You know, it kind of put him on the map. So he, there'd be two hundred people in there. Now you could have like a guy who just did JFL yesterday. And there's like a 70% chance that they're going to get like crickets. Like, really? so comics would eat shit all the time. And for us who were stoners, we kind of knew what to expect. You do the room a few times. You're like, okay, like they're just really stoned. It's not that they're, they don't like it. I, I had a guy come up to me from that show, like seven years later and be like, oh man, I remember you on this day. Like you were there. It was so funny. You did, and he'll tell me a joke. That I only did that one time seven years ago, never did again. He'll tell it to me with perfect detail. So they are liking it. They are internally enjoying it, but they're, you know, they're all fucked up, stoned, and they're not like, ha ha ha, like a, an audience. They're just at most like, a, ha, 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 ha. especially on the dabs, you know, dabs, like that concentrated THC, mm-hmm. like not, not a joint. You smoke it with the whole rig and stuff. That's a dab bar. So there, there'd be people in the front just like asleep like on these couches and everyone would just like eat shit, but like they did like you and it was a paid room. It's, you know, you get a picture of you doing it in front of 200 people, the optics, you know, it made it worth it. Keep coming back. But that was a tough, tough room. Yeah. yeah that always, that always threw me off about that, that underground kind of culture of like weed comedy and 420 rooms and all that stuff like that. Um, yeah. It's hard. It was very, it's very, yeah. Like you would think anybody would, would kill in that room because when you're stoned, everything's, fucking funny everything is just but you're, you're telling me like no it's not really the case no they're enjoying it but they're barely laughing like you'll get like you know what would be like the whole room exploding you'll get like 20 people like ha, <laughs> and then they're just like self-conscious or like oh my god am I making too much noise or they're just like asleep and they're hearing you in their head like when you go to sleep with a podcast on the next day they might look you up but <laughs> it's 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 kind of mind blowing, but it's interesting. I mean, yeah. I'd love to. I, I've never actually been to a, a four twenty or a weed room, but I mean, I, I know the concept, and I've always in the back of my mind always thought that. Yeah, yeah. Like everybody would They're basically would kind of all gone up. now too. Well, I mean, it's all legalized, so it's all very. Yeah. I don't know how to how to even put it. Well, now, you, you but, can't smoke indoors. I, that place that Rita had a show after legalization, they tried to get away with it a little bit longer, but basically their uh, insurance company was like. We can't insure this anymore. Cause the, and then what they did is they they transitioned and they became a vapor central research facility. And then when oh, you go oh in, you, God, you really an iPod, uh, iPad, and you click a button saying like you are okay to be part of this research experiment, uh-huh. and that there's ongoing ex- research going on here, and that's why you're able to smoke and whatever. So that kind of worked for a bit, but I think it, it's gone now. It's shut down now. So. Rest now, as a comedian and as a producer, which yeah. hat do you most likely like to wear the most? I mean, I love. There's nothing like performing. I, I you know, as a, I'm not going to pretend I'm like the best comedian in the world. I try to get better and better and get booked on better shows. But producing has just given me so much more, and is is just so so much more of like a personal passion of mine because I can get really good gigs for friends of mine people I know, people I don't know who are visiting. Like I can get paid gigs for tons of people 
multiple sometimes we have multiple shows in one night in multiple cities and like when that happens i know i'm like paying all these people the shows are sold out i'm technically through me creating this getting like three four or five hundred people laughing like that just feels amazing so definitely hosting like emceeing a show is my is my favorite thing to perform and uh, i'm definitely more of a producer than a comic but so do you somehow play yeah. a role on every show you produce are you on stage no, no, no. after an MC or something on every show you produce? No, that's the thing. I'm often not there. I'm a lot ah. of like now I have more shows happening than I could possibly be in the same city for. So I'm usually not even there at most of my like event companies productions. Uh, when I'm there, I like to usually host. Hosting is kind of my favorite um, or I'll just do a spot like everyone else. I don't really headline my own shows basically ever. And that's more or less because I have so much access to like better comics. So (laughs) it's just like, it'd be silly. Like maybe once or twice a year, what I'll do is I'll just book a night at like comedy bar or something like that. Like a, you know, medium, small, medium sized venue. And I'll do like, I'll get a really good opener to do 15 minutes. And then I'll do like a 45 minute thing. But even that, I like, I, I advertise it a certain way where it's like, you're going to come see me rant. Like, it's like a rant show. So I'm never really, if, if it's a classic show, three, four comics, I'm not really going to put myself as a headliner because it just wouldn't be fair. It just wouldn't be honest. Like, I can get better comics and uh, give the audience a better show. So why would I, it's not like about me, like, yeah, I'm the headliner. It's like, it's fine. You know, yeah, that would drive me nuts. I would, I would, I'm, I'm, I would so need to have my fingerprint on everything. Yeah. I would need to be there. I would need to be overseeing everything. Now, you currently in Montreal, or you're, you're on the road? But I mean, you're in Toronto. Uh, I was on the road. I'm in Toronto right now. Um, you're in Toronto right now. But the difference, as what I want to know, between yeah. the typical Toronto club versus the typical Montreal club, because I'm sure you've experienced both, could be defined as what? Well, um, first of all, talent wise, there's, you just got to give it up to Toronto. There's some really, really talented comedians in Montreal. No doubt. There's a lot of new up and comers, you know, getting their game on no doubt, but Toronto, it's just, first of all, there's just more people. So statistically there's going to be better ones, but it's also the, the nature of the city is so much more fast paced and like that you gotta grind like you basically have to work like three jobs in this city to survive (laughs) so when you're doing those sets i think something about that plus just being around so much like raw talent like people who've just done every festival and have tv shows and this and that you just gotta bring your a game every single time whereas in montreal it's cheap you know my montreal rent is 500 bucks that's why even though i'm not there a lot i keep it because it's it's cheap, right? So you could basically work at like Shoppers Drug Mart part time and still afford a Montreal life. So the comics, I feel like even the good ones, the vibe is just kind of like, hey, I come. It's kind of more for the hang. Oh, try <laughs> some stuff out, casual. There's no one like really like busting their ass all day to try to make it because like if it doesn't work, you can kind of still hang out. You can do your comedy, live your life. You know, it's like, it's just a little bit more casual there, if that makes sense. Is there a strong independence scene in Montreal? Because I'm as far as comedy clubs, there's one, as that I know of. Yeah, there's just one club. Nest, I mean, is, look, sorry, English it, speaking comedy clubs of Montreal, there's Comedy Nest. So everything yeah, else is sort Nest, of independent. That's it. Which is, you know, like, 
let's face it. Honestly, like I don't, you know, want to get anyone else in trouble. I can speak for myself. The club, the comedy club scene in Canada is kind of dead, anyways. You know what I mean? You got your yucks. What they got ten clubs. You got your absolute three clubs, two clubs, I think, Kingston Closed. You got your nest. You got your, you know, heckled. I'd love to do all these places. It's great. It's fine. But that's not really where, like, most comedy is living in in this country. It's all these independent shows. Now, in Montreal, the problem is this: basically one guy runs, like, 90% of the shows. They're not paid or they're paid, like, 10 bucks per set. And... It's like it's all about that brand. And so there's no like the posters won't typically have the comedians on them. There's nothing there to like build the comedian's career. It's just like come do a set and everyone's too scared to really like put on shows or if they do and it gets even a little bit good. They just sign it over to this guy and this guy just like runs it for them. So I'm talking about Sid Kular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically <laughs> like a monopoly over there. Like, well, he knows what he's doing. He's got a brand and he's done it. He's doing it. It's well, working. Yes. It's working. Yeah, it's working for him. But for those comics, it's not really, it's like a zero. You're not really going to gain much. You're going to get to perform in front of his crowds. Fine. But they're mostly. But that's the thing. He brings the crowd. You he get stage time. It's notable sort of exposure because a lot of what you were saying and that sort of kind of reminded me with the weed rooms is that if you do open mics and, and a lot of those kind of unknown independent shows you're performing in front of other fucking comics who are pretty much not even there to listen to you they're there uh, the, just to the try out their shows? material the, no the weed well, shows I'm just saying, like 200, 200 people they would i know but it's sort of like performing you. uh it's sort of like performing an open mic at a regular night where the comics aren't listening to you just as much as the stoners aren't listening to you because they're kind of half in the bag when you compare the yeah. two Yes and no. I mean, like, you got to start. I think the best thing you can do is start a show. If you're a comic, any level, starting out, whatever, start a show, build your own audience, start getting your own fan base going. And then it's networking with other comics. You start knowing venues you can work with. You start, like, putting... It's a business. You got to be, like, a one-person business. Yeah, Like, whether you produce a bunch of shows or or just one, you got to be... Or even don't produce and you just... But the thing is, if you're just waiting around to get booked and hoping to get booked, you're dead in the water. It's never going to happen. The problem no, here, no. like for Montreal, is like these comics rely on him to the point where they don't put out, they don't, they don't have a draw. So like, yeah, there's a bunch of uh, audience, but they're all college students or tour American tourists. They're never going to really like follow you and be at your future shows. So it's you know you're getting an audience for that night, but there's nothing translating that to a future in 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 being more bookable having more fans getting more money most of his shows are free or like 10 15 bucks while he's making a killing you know what i mean it's not right even the clubs by the way they don't pay well in canada like it's it's kind of like a scammy system when i do a show and we sell out everyone's getting paid like more than the clubs pay the headliners you know what i mean like you're saying shows you produce yeah, yeah, and there's it's not just me. There's some people who are like really honest with it, but there's a lot of people who are just here to milk everyone else, and uh, you know it's it's not good. It's anti art. You know, it's bad enough that uh, stand ups aren't considered an art. Stand up comedy is not considered an art form by Canadian arts funding, so we can't well, get. I know that. You know? I know that. Yeah. And then you got these these bookers and club owners who aren't performers 
who just like milk us every other minute. So uh, for me, I just had to do my own thing and uh, just try to spread it as much as I can. Like I said, book other people, get them paid properly. We take care of everything, the food, accommodations, drinks, whatever, like, you know. Yeah, no, I'm just, it, it's interesting you say that because, yes, yeah, stand-up comedy is not recognized as an art form, but interpretive dance is. So if you wanted yeah. funding <laughs> to, yeah. to, like, shoot a special or something and you wanted to uh, get a grant from, you know, the country of Canada where you live and are trying to make a living and excel in your art form, and yes, comedy is an art form, it yeah. is not recognized as one by the government. Um, it's a joke. It is. Well, that's the funny part about that. Eh? We we Canadian comics put Canada on the map. Like you go to the States, all the best comedians are Canadian originally. Uh, comedic uh, actors, not all the best, but like so many of the greatest. No, no, I hear it. I, I'm, I'm fighting well. the same fight. I mean, I'm not a comic. I'm, I'm, I'm just a guy with a podcast who had a radio show who loves and is a huge fan of, of stand up comedy. So I totally get the, where the passion comes from. But as a producer yourself, because, you know, you wear two hats and from from one aspect, yes, is the whole artistry of, you know, getting stage time, performing, you know, perfecting a set, putting forth your best stuff, working on material, honing it out. But when you put the producer's hat on, it's it's a whole other grind, because now you got to live in the business world where everybody else is sort of that you've said that, you know, everybody wants a piece of the pie. So it's kind of tough. It's a yin and yang. And, and I respect the fact that, yes, as a comic, you you try to excel your own brand and then try to promote yourself. But when you have a producer's hat on, you sit back and you let the comic shine and you book around the show. So your eye is mostly focused on who can I get the best bang for the buck of a, somebody coming in, buying a ticket to see a show. What's the yep. best show I can put together? And I respect I that from you as... As Thank somebody, you. as you know, we're just getting to know each other right now. But I mean, yeah. as as a producer, and, and I like to consider myself that I've kind of dabbled in comedy producing as well. I mean, I produced a radio show. I produced a couple of live shows. I produced a festival. So I, I, I can understand that. But what would you say are three things that people don't really know when it comes to producing a comedy show? Three aspects that you either A, got to look out for as a comic or as uh, an audience member that a producer needs to do kind of like the behind the scenes shit that, you know, some people just don't understand that it is a fucking grind, no matter if you're in front of the mic or you're backstage trying to put it all together. What are sort of three things that kind of stick out that you've always either a had struggle with or, or people just don't really know? Well, the first and foremost is grinding to sell the tickets, like selling yep. tickets, is the is like the hardest thing ever and people think it's like super easy and then they go wow why didn't it work um or, or you know they get a little frustrated with it but there really is no like easy answer you have to push these tickets down people's throats like i'll i'll still to this day if i got a big show coming up i'll message people be like hey you coming to this yeah yeah uh, you got tickets uh yeah I'm, I'm about to get them send me the screenshot when you get the tickets <laughs> like I'll still, you know what I mean? And you, you think it's going to be, you know, easy or whatever, but no, you just gotta, you just gotta, you have to shamelessly tell every single person you ever meet that you're a comic, that you have a show, that you're running a show. This is where to get the tickets. You can't, you can't rest. And you still got to put out Facebook ads. 
Instagram ads, all of that, but word of mouth and just like staying on top of people just relentlessly. Um, so that's definitely one is selling the tickets. Uh, the other thing is, I mean, it's kind of related, but comedians as comedians, most comedians are not really, I don't know if it's a self-confidence thing or a lazy thing, maybe a big mix of both and other factors, I'm sure. But like selling ourselves is like really hard to us. So comics, you know, usually just like won't really want to push people to come to their show that much. They feel like they're bothering people, whatever. But then like even just if they're on a show and they have the spot, even if it's getting paid, like they'll very seldom share a, a poster. They'll very seldom like I have a little group chat and I have to keep telling them like, hey, push it like in a nice way. And they know me now. Yeah. We've worked together. It's funny. But I'm like, hey, like sell those tickets, like push this link. Like, let's go. I need you to share. I need you to fuck because if you just leave it to them, they won't. Or at most, they'll just put a story up like Instagram stories, like an hour before the show. Hey, come to this. But it doesn't work like that. People plan. Mm. I'm going to go to a show. I got a babysitter. I'm going to whatever. They're not just going to last minute like, yeah, I'll just come to this show willy nilly. So uh, the promotion, all that, I guess, kind of fits. Yeah, under it's promotion. all revolves around promotion. Yeah. I mean, I, the other, the other ones, points. the other three, the other two would be one is like, so who you're working with, whether it's the venue, the comedians themselves, whatever, like you have to have people that you trust. Dependability is everything. You know, is a comic going to not show up five minutes before the show and the car is waiting to take them out of town? Are they going to get drunk? And this happened my very first road gig ever, like 10 years ago. One of the comics took the car we were using. It was another comic's car to go to get some sandwich or something middle of the night. We didn't know. He was coked out. He was drunk. He, cra <laughs> he crashed the car or something or got a DUI. I don't, I don't know. And then he got drunk tanked and we had our car impounded. So oh. we're six hours away from Toronto. And in the morning, we find out we don't have a car and we got to scramble. And I actually had another show starting that day in Toronto at night, which I just made it for. But we had to rent a car and this and that. So get reliable people, like know who you're working with and make sure that they're reliable in all ways um, and be reliable too. Uh, I mean, I don't want to throw the guy. Don't name the names. You know, you know the name names. They don't I'm even do saying, comedy anymore, so it doesn't matter. But yeah, like it just makes me scratch my head that the people wild. are like. It's wild. I mean, yeah. I, I get that. There's a lot of vices in this industry that people sort of fixate with. And yes, there's a there's a culture to comedy. There's an an after you know you're done your set after after the show's over. There's that whole kind of niche that people fall in. Yeah, the drugs, yeah. the alcohol, the late nights, the fucking. Sure. But wow, people actually okay, leave you hanging somewhere six hours outside of the city. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a dramatic, you know, mistake or whatever, but sometimes they just get nervous and uh, they bill on a show, you know, their, their own hangups or they prioritize or they forget they double, triple book themselves and then they forget. So like know who to work with and, you know, reliable people, I guess the third one, it's more for comedians in general, uh, producing or not, but, um, you got to, yeah, like I said, you got to sell yourself, but you really got to uh, think of sort of like the long game, I guess it were. Like you got to, you got to think like, okay, like if I only do these kind of spots where I get paid nothing and I'm not really growing, like what am I going to be doing in 10 years? You know what I mean? Okay. 10 years, 20 years. 
Like, what do I actually want out of this? Because because I, I know a lot of artists of you know comedy, but also musicians, painters, whatever. And I, I find the same sort of thread of like them being kind of shy with money, you know, right. undervaluing them or like, oh, I, don't, I don't deserve, I don't want to pay too, I don't want to charge too much. It's not about the money. I'm an artist, but it's like, okay, but we don't live in like a utopia where like food and rent is free. <laughs> right. So yeah. I'm sorry. Like you gotta, you gotta, no, I, you gotta I totally understand, you know, you gotta have your own value. And uh, I do, I do want to make a point about what you're saying earlier though, is like, you know, if you just perform the comics all the time at only open mics, there is a thing where like in Toronto, for example, there's so many options to go do a set. Oh God, too many options. Right? There's almost too many because the trouble with that is like, yeah, like I think for some people just grinding constantly is the way to do it, but that's not the only way to do it. And for a lot more people, what ends up happening is like, you know, when you see a comic who like, you really know that like there's nothing else they do but comedy like in their whole life they got nothing else going on and it's like it becomes sad you know because it's like this guy's got no no girlfriend boyfriend no job no money no prospects no no interesting stories and he's literally just making jokes about like being a comedian comedian life it's like okay but why are people gonna pay to come and listen to what you have to say about life you know what I mean? It's like you, you have to have some sort of outside thing to keep it interesting. And uh, yeah, when you go do just nonstop shows like this, it you do plateau a little like there's I'm sure four or five of them are going to help you uh, get that get that five minutes, 10 minutes out. But the rest is just going to keep you jaded. You're going to be around cynical comics who aren't laughing. You're ble bleeding bus tokens. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fucking yeah. buy a beer. So it's like kind of like what you said. After a while, it's not really going to always help. So I say qual uh, quality over quantity, I think, would be kind of. Yeah, I, I always like to say that comedy's got a tremendous entry plan, not the best exit plan. Like yeah. to getting into the industry, you're full of hope, promise, aspirations. Yeah. We can bring you here. We can bring you there. If you're good, you get time with a club or, yeah, I get on a festival. But when it all goes to shit, it doesn't really have the best. There's no pension in comedy. There's no, if you don't make it, then you gotta, you know, you gotta get back to work out something when you were doing it. Sad. Yeah. It like sad. someone who's like a 65 year old who's been doing it forever. It's like maybe they headlined back in the day or whatever, but now they're just kind of washed up and bitter. You're like, Oh my God. And that's not all of them. Some of them are still killing it, but some of them are like, Oh, like, what are you yeah, doing? Some people man? like their wheelhouse and they like to live within their wheelhouse. They don't want to go too far ahead. They don't want yeah. to go too far back. This is my niche. This is what I know. This is where I want to stay. Um, for you, again, wearing both hats. And I, I like focusing on the producer part because yeah. it's something I can relate with very well. Absolutely. Um, social media. How much mm -hmm. is that? Well, it's, it's changed everything. But as mm -hmm. far as the art form of comedy, how much yeah. is so, uh, 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 like a platform like social media, in your opinion, how much has that changed the game? Uh, it's incredibly. I mean, as a performer, like you, you could just, you might not, I don't know how good your standup is going to be, but there's people who just, whether they call themselves standups anyways, but there's people who just exploded purely off social media and making a living. So, I mean, I can't knock that. I know some people are purists and they're like, ah, oh, this doesn't count, but I'm, I'm all about it. If they can make their money like that, that's amazing. 
Now, for for as far as booking shows and 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 getting shows and selling tickets, social media has absolutely changed the game. Like, what what would we used to have to do is like print posters and yeah. flyers, hand Girl them out, marketing. post them everywhere, stickers, whatever the fuck. Maybe uh, put an ad out in a paper. Now it's all online listings, blog to putting out ads, um, just putting out posts. You know. Yeah. So it, it's a game changer. They can buy their tickets right there with a click. You know, it's made it a lot better. It's made it a lot better for comics to get their 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 stuff out, to get right. their name out, but also for producers to to sell the tickets and to make shows happen. You said a word in that last kind of uh, answer that kind of stuck with me. Purist. I don't yeah. even. It's kind of. I don't even know what the definition is anymore because it's yeah. changed so much, right? Because. To yeah. me, a comedy purist is a stand-up comedian. But right. even back then, in you know, the era of true stand-up comedy, the sports jacket, the guys with yeah. the arm patches on coming out yeah, and talking yeah. about my yeah. wife and all that stuff, even that has gone through transition because at a point in time, the purists, which would be stand-up comics, looked down upon improv artists. And people right. coming up in sketch comedy, your second right. city troops, your groundlings, your, you know, all, all, all those guys kind of making um, another art form come to life. And but now those still are purists in their form. They're mm -hmm. purists in sketch. Now that's all been related to online and social media where people need edits and filters and people playing the same role six different times in one video, but it's all due to the artistry of a cell phone. And that's now taking place of the word purist, because that's what people are identifying comedy to be. And mm. does that translate live? Does that translate to any form of entertainment you can see outside of the palm of your hand? Because everything is a click and a link and a, and we've had this discussion numerous times with so many people, and it's kind of been, you know, uh, uh, a stone I, I, I'm pretty much going to die on. But yeah. I, I don't know how to kind of divide the two. I, I don't right. know, because to me, I'm still a purist, and I still think comedy is performed on a stage, whether it be sketch, improv, whether it be stand up, whether it be some sort of musical comedy. And the comedy I see on my phone is funny, yes, but does a click on a phone translate to an ass in seats? It's easy I mean, to like somebody's video, but is it is it it's harder to actually show up for somebody's event. So as a producer, when you're trying to market somebody like that and try to have you have you ever booked a, a content creator, I guess? Um like I've I've booked Okay, like I've booked a comic who was a stand-up and did stand-up, still does, but I'd say their stand-up wasn't really getting much traction. Gotcha. But then all of a sudden they started making uh, Instagram videos and TikToks and whatever. Then, and then their TikTok and Instagram blew up, got them signed to some agency, is making them money. So then, yeah, I like booked them uh on a show and you know it was kind of like a it was a one-off and we, we were all kind of like doing the same thing anyways as far as time 
So I made him like the headliner just because it was like, okay, they got some like fire. Well, they had the most followers right essentially, right? Yeah, they got the followers and whatever. Yeah. I don't know if it made that much difference, but I still would. I could see myself doing something like that again. Like if a comic, I try to, I try to not really book someone if I don't think like their comedy is like amazing. But the same time, if it's going to help in this particular case, we were all Iranian. We're all Iranian and we we're doing like a Persian New Year's themed show. Okay. So I was like, okay, I'll put the one with the biggest like following on last and like fuck it, let, let him have like a headlining moment. But uh, I think, I don't know, I think at the beginning when this was happening, I remember like four or five years ago, people were really upset because JFL had like a bunch of people who weren't doing stand up. They were just strictly like YouTube people, but then now they were at JFL. And I heard they basically bombed because like a lot of these people aren't you know, stand-up. So like they think like I'm doing comedy. They are doing comedy, by the way. I just want to make that point of like comedy. Oh, it's comedy, but I'm just saying the definition of the changed a lot. But stand-up comedy is its own thing, right? So yeah, I don't think it's not so easy, like just because they're good at that that they can translate over. Um and I think they kind of the in that they kind of like learn that lesson. Um but then now I see like for example country Wayne, you know country Wayne in the States. Yep. Uh, he he did has been doing stand up for a while, but he's never shown anyone because he he was always kind of self conscious about it. But he was making all those uh, Facebook and Instagram, YouTube videos. It's I don't know if you watch them, but like they're really funny. Like it's kind of like this black soap opera kind of thing going. But <laughs> he's making yeah. millions off it, and then he you know he worked on his stand up for like the last few years to get it to a point and. Now he just did a Netflix special, and I think it's the number one uh, watched Netflix special. Wow, good for him. Yeah, yeah. His name's Country Country Wayne with a K, and he he's clean too. He's a clean comic. He doesn't he doesn't swear at all. Yeah. So I don't know if that's part of it. And he's he's like he's heavily Christian. He's always like it's black dude. He wears a pop chain that says Jesus is popping, like Jesus <laughs> is popping, right? But there well, is. Yeah, there is a way to transition over, but it's not a guarantee that you're just. To me, that's a true test of a of a true comic, uh, yeah, and not stand up comic, content creator comic, a sketch artist or improv comic, comic. The word comedian, yeah. somebody yeah. who lives a realm in that in that in their brain. Because if you want to excel in stand up, you literally have to paint a picture of what's happening in the audience's brain through your words. Yes. As a sketch artist, you are painting a picture through the scene you are building with the characters you're in and whether you're actually using props or something you have to make shift as props or mining a set, a but, background, anything. Right. Costume. You got so as a content creator, because you have the luxury of doing all of that and you can take a final edit and it and it it's all comedy. And the easiest one for me is if a stand-up can do his set. And he's putting into other people's brains by the words he's saying and make it come to life in a sketch that he can do online. Well, then you now can live in a multiple amount of worlds here because you can you can relate the art form in any which way you can do yeah. it visually online because the cell phone has pretty much replaced the damn TV. The, the, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and yeah. in a world of podcasts where people are listening to this and and then there's YouTube and all that stuff like that, you can find your niche and, and how to be funny. Um, yeah. But as, as a producer was what I'm asking for you for you to, to book all this in a live sort of, you know, situation in a live 
it's got to be where do you pull from? Where do you get the, the biggest pop? Where do you uh, attract most of your audience from? Because one can't live without the other these days. Now it's, it's, you, you need all of it to, to exist in this art form. You need a stand up. Uh, uh, if you're a stand up comic, you need a social media presence. If you're a social media comic, people want to know, where do I see you live? Or do I just see you online? Or are you ever going to do a show? Or, you know, so everything kind of is mingling in this, in this world. And it's kind of like, I don't know how well people have their edit game up to date, I guess, and how well they, mm. you know, the apps onto making stuff look good. But for you as a producer, you got to be able to take what you produce and then, hey, look at my last show because of all the content I put online from it and kind of promote the next one. So does one hand feed the other with you? Kind of like it's it's usually just I post a lot and I tag everyone. We had a great show. Thank you. Whatever. I'm trying now to uh put out more actual like audio visual content um i don't keep m many sets of my own up online uh and i just i always am like yeah, i'm so much better live like it's just not the same but i'm trying to so for example we just did uh three shows in rural ontario we were in kincardin and bayfield uh for two nights and on the way there and on the way back i recorded a podcast in the car like i had the the mics <laughs> and the recorder like like pro yeah. equipment and i just like had a thing of like before and after the uh the set the show the, yeah. the game on the road so it's kind of like a road like we're on the road kind of thing and uh just talking shop about the industry and stuff so that was kind of cool i'm trying to i'm trying to i filmed all these sets like oh we just did so i'm gonna try to piece something together put that out you are right though the editing game like it's hard to edit it's time consuming and it's it's stressful so yeah. i think a lot of us record everything and post like none of it well, just, yeah, you're trying to get the best of, of both worlds do the do the small towns where you go are very appreciative i see i'm see to me yeah. it seems to be they are the most appreciative forms of comedy lovers. Like, nothing ever yeah. comes here thanks so much for putting the show on yeah. it's amazing you can't they got they got it they gotta love you and they'll buy the tickets like a month in advance, you yeah. know? So yeah, that's, that's where it's at. Honestly, the small towns, I, I don't know what I would be doing if it was just, just trying to do it in Toronto or Montreal. Well, we addressed it, right? Toronto's oversaturated. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, that's for the comedians, but then yeah, even for the audience, it's like, well, I have like a thousand choices of entertainment in the city. So yeah, I might see a comedy show once in a while and I, you have to compete with all the other comedy shows. But even to to go to have someone go to comedy versus a movie or a play or a dance club or whatever, there's just too much going on. Whereas, What's yeah, the, if you're in a little town with two bars, I mean, they're yeah. they're, com they're coming. What's the one thing you sort of uh, love about? I guess I mean, you have one out that that, that kind of sticks out in your mind, like an area, a town. You always keep on going back to. Is there a certain part of whether it's provincial or I don't know how far you actually take it on the road and out of province you go but does some town or some place usually kind of pop and stick out of your out of your brain like I, I gotta go back there again i gotta i gotta really hit that spot again oh yeah i mean uh so king Carden we've been doing for four years now nice. um, we always go back we go back at least once a year some some years we've done two twice a year um it's a three-hour drive and then when we're there we try to hit up at least one other like local town just to make it worth it because we got to stay overnight and whatever. But uh, they love us there. It's beautiful. Like last time I went out, uh, all the comics said like next time we all got to get matching tattoos of there's like a nice <laughs> lighthouse and we all want to get like 
And like I've I've talked to some of these comics like who like did it like two years ago and they still talk about it all the time. They're like, oh my god, I want to retire in that little town. So definitely. You know, shout is out it exactly to, uh, three hours north of Toronto? I so I'm not the drive. I don't even drive. I always just book <laughs> drive. I don't, I don't. I don't even really. I'm such a city boy. I've never even gotten a license. But uh, so I don't know if it's north. It's it's near Lake Huron. I know okay. that. So wherever so so it's like Bruce Gray Simcoe kind of area, King Carden. Wow. Yeah, it's a tiny little town, but um, and we usually we play uh the it's a bar called the Industry Room, but it's inside this like three hundred two hundred year old house called the uh the Walker House Museum. Okay. So it's in this like historic museum, and uh, yeah, they love it. Yeah, we sold out two shows there in, in a night and uh, we usually, we basically have always sold out for four years there. So keep coming back. You know, they love us. They haven't gotten sick of us yet. And it's fun too. Cause it's all old people, but they <laughs> somehow love like no matter how raunchy a comic is or whatever, like they're with it. Hey. Yeah. So nice. yeah, definitely going to keep going back there. Any sort of cottage country area is nice. Cause you get to have like, those cool little beachside experiences, good weather, whatever, good food usually. Now from your yeah. producer hat, getting back into your comedy hat and putting that yeah. hat back onto you yeah. and this being in this, in this kind of industry and kind of working on your material. Um, how, how often in your, your, your writing process, how often do you write? What's your writing process? Are you like old school pen to paper guy? Are you more like something's funny? Speak it in your phone or type it in your phone. What's your process when kind of deconstructing a bit or taking uh, a, a material and kind of, you know, chomping down on it to try to form a bit out of it? Yeah, so I'm definitely not old school pen to paper guy. Um, I do have a pretty good memory. It's just kind of all in my head. Like, I just kind of think of stuff that I think is funny. And that is why no matter how good you get, you still have to go to at least one or two open mics because you need... Like I, when I started, uh, not to put the producer hat back on, but when I started comedy, I started my first show. It was an eight-hour open mic that I used to host what? myself for. Yeah, I, I hosted it for five years. An uh, eight-hour open eight mic. Eight-hour open mic, and I gave everyone ten sets. Sorry, ten-minute sets. So we'd get like Holy 30, shit. 40 comics uh, every Tuesday. A ten-minute set. Yep. Yep. I started two weeks in. I didn't know what I was doing. And I have no regrets because fuck five minute sets. I don't know if we can swear on here, but yeah. Like, Go so, ahead. but I mean, anyway, so <laughs> that gave me the opportunity instead of going to 20 different open mics a week and getting jaded and all that stuff. Like we said, I had one place a night where I could get all the diary and stuff out. And, you know, by the end of a Tuesday, by, by Friday, I'm good. I have at least like one or two, like brand new, like bits. That's like, Tested and true. An eight-hour open mic. That's a Hell day's yeah. work. Yeah. Where did you great. host this? Uh, it was a place called Sonic. It's unfortunately no longer there. but uh, Well, the building's there, but it's no longer in business. Um, the owner, I still talk to the owner. He came to my show in Toronto the other day, uh, last night actually, and uh, he told me like many times that we kept his bar like running, especially through the winter, because – you know, a Friday night or something might be bigger. It might not. Sometimes Tuesdays were bigger, but Tuesday was like the, always the consistent night that we right. knew it was going to be busy. And yeah, so that, I mean, that was great to hear. So he you start at what time? Started at eight o'clock and, and went till about eight hours, went till about two thirty. Yeah. 
whatever that is. Wow. And everybody had a 10 minute set. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but the, just... the reason I mention all that is like we would get you like I still have a lot of the lists. I would keep meticulous lists of those nights. You name it. They were there. Whether you're talking about today's biggest stars who who were starting out open mics or people like, you know, Ron Jossel, uh, Jason Rouse, uh, si Simon Rakoff, uh, like people who are already tricks, like people who are already big on TV in the festivals, they would come and, you know, hey, like the buddy's doing a theater tomorrow and he wants to work out this like extra 10 minutes or this extra bit. And you go to an open mic where there's 10, like, so the room we were in legal capacity was 11, 11 people. There was a bar downstairs that you can hang out in like the separate part, but the actual room we performed legal capacity was 11 and we would cram like 20 in there at a time. But wow. yeah, like, you know, if you're a pro, you still have to go to like a lesser show, whether it's that or just a B club, C club, or just a small little show to practice your stuff out. No matter how much you wrote it on paper, you got to practice it out in front of people before it's ready for the big, you know, paid gig. So that's kind of my process, wow. just going to shows, uh, you know, just practicing it out, riffing a lot. Oh, that yeah. worked, worked, whatever. Uh, one thing that's always been kind of prevalent and I've talked about a lot on the podcast is that uh, crowd work seems to be a big thing now. A lot of people are, well, one, a lot of people are posting it online, crowd work, just because yep. you, can, you can burn it. It's easy material, their interaction. Yep. But then again, from the comedic's perspective or from the audience's perspective, if they don't go to a lot of comedy shows, people think, oh, this is comedy now. I can just fucking right. I can just talk back. I can just talk back to the comic anytime I want. I'm like, mm, right. It's no. more heckling. Yeah. And they'll be like, I'm helping. That's what yeah. hecklers always say. I'm helping. Yeah, not uh, not really the case. You, you've experienced that a lot or no? A little, I, I don't, you know, it's weird in all these years, I haven't really been heckled much. I think it's because partially just because I am very loud mm -hmm. and I, I wouldn't say I'm aggressive, but I do kind of like get everyone's attention. So there's a lot of times I'm not saying like I was killed. There's tons of times where it's just like, they're not even laughing at all, but they're still listening if that makes sense. So I've never really had too many people yell stuff out. I guess I've just been lucky. We used to go to this show in the village in Toronto every week uh, at another pot store, a pot pot place. Yeah. But this one, like no matter who you were in Toronto on Fridays, you'd probably like pros. Everything would end up there because there was one gay guy. We don't even know his name is, but we all, everyone called him Rudiger for some reason. He was this Rudiger. one dude. Yeah. Rudiger. <laughs> I don't know how he got the nickname is, but it was like this show had been going on for 10 years before I even started. It was crazy, but but anyways, he would just he'd just be this aggressive dude who would just uh, really aggressively heckle every comedian. So like right. a comic would do a set, hey, like I went on an airplane, whatever, and he'd just go, suck my ass. <laughs> like what just yell stupid shit and just throw everyone off. It was so chaotic. It was amazing to watch. But right. uh, every week I'd go and I'm like, I'm ready for him. If he's gonna say something, I'm gonna fucking have a retort, I'm gonna be ready. Guy never heckled me once. He just sat there listening patiently. So I don't know what effect I have, but <laughs> if Rudiger didn't heckle me, like I'm not afraid of some like drunk girl or whatever. So how I kind of like to wrap things up with people. I like to give a like a rundown, a rapid fire of questions. It never <laughs> ever ever becomes a rapid fire because usually somebody gives an answer and I'm like, what? And that spawns like a side topic. But uh 
kicking it off, kicking it off your favorite comedic influence growing up. John Stewart, uh, and not even so much for his stand-up, but what he did on The Daily Show uh, as a oh. Middle Easterner, as, uh, as, uh, as uh, someone who's brown right after 9-11, Iraq War, like, whatever. John Stewart, me and my whole family would watch The Daily Show, and I feel like that was, like, both bonding for us, but also kind of, like, helped us get through that era, you know, in a way. Your, so. favorite, your favorite stand-up now? Stand up now, probably. I mean, can you say Louis C.K.? He's probably up there. He's I, he's, he's definitely he won faves. the Grammy. He's definitely yeah, really funny. One of my but honestly, too, Ryan Long, and it's a little oh. biased because I grew up with him. Like uh, you know, we're we're in the trenches doing comedy, but he is exploding right now. So it's fair to say he's one of the best comedians out there. I mean, you know, the guy was on Joe Rogan. He's selling out everywhere. And he's just funny. He's just undeniably like so funny. So, yeah, yeah, I'd say those your, two. Your your favorite comedy movie you always love to watch. Ooh, uh, when I was a kid, I think we watched um, the uh, what's what's the Chappelle movie where they got a uh, half baked, um, half baked. We watched that into <laughs> oblivion as a kid. Like I, I remember for like a few months straight, it was every Friday we would just watch it. I don't know how we didn't get sick of it. So that's probably up there. Yeah, it's probably, I'll just say half baked. Yeah. Uh, as a producer, I'd love to hear the answer to this question, but your favorite club to perform at? Favorite club to perform at? Uh, you, can stay, you can stay in a room you run as well. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I w if I could go back and redo those, uh, redo that eight hour, eight hour open mic, I probably that's would. still amazing to me. Yeah, I can't believe because it was that. just but so magical. Cool. There was moments in there where there's like because the audience came and went, right? So sometimes we yeah. would have twenty people in the room. Sometimes it'd be two people. There's times where it's just me watching until like <laughs> the next comic, and then a bunch of people come up. But there was some moments in there, like just pure magic that I, I like just would never be able to recreate so yeah it, it is what it is uh i did get to host the 420 show uh yeah. with uh, uh like twenty thousand people in audit in the attendance that was really fun i did it a few times and one of the times we were at city hall and i was like what kind of weed you smoking up there meritory you smoking that one percent weed and getting twenty thousand people to boo i'm like come down and smoke with the people and i was like ah that was, you know, you can't really forget that. That was wild. You know, I was more doing a political rally at that point than anything. But well, do you was... enjoy political comedy? Do you ever do it? I mean, yourself? oh, yeah. It's all my comedy is basically very political. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like 90% <laughs> of it is very, very political. So, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of my favorite. Uh, this isn't one of the rapid fire questions or anything, but just based on what you're saying now and based on what's happening in the world, you usually yeah. go off on a rant on kind of what's happening right now. Oh, always. The oh, okay, it's, good. I didn't yes. know. You never know. If right? anything, if anything, I'm trying to get more original because, like, I was talking about colonialism and and you know, uh, fucking all like capitalism, colonialism, anti-war stuff, like ten years ago, native rights, all this kind of stuff, uh, not having a monarchy in Canada, like all these kind of things. I was talking about. Okay, so. Yeah. With, with all the bullshit that's happening right now, and every time you turn on the news, it's nothing but fucking hatred and war and this yeah. and that. Yeah. What's your best joke about Israel and Palestine? Oh, God. I mean, I've been telling you this for a while, so it's almost hacked now. But I think, first of all, it's silly that we say, like, Palestinians are anti-Semitic. 
you can't be anti-Semitic because they are Semitics. First of all, it's all the same shit. We, we want to pretend like they're so different. Like, come on, you're the same people. Relax. <laughs> and uh, if you really want to, you know, solve it and have peace, just airdrop a shit ton of porn and fucking hummus and just come back in nine months. Let them all unite that way. You know, just fuck right on the beach. You can have Sabra hummus sponsoring it, maybe, you know, nice. <laughs> And uh, come back because even if you're a hardened, you're hardened Hamas, and you're like, oh, we'll throw the Jews into the sea or whatever. It's like, well, when you see your baby's eyes, you, you recognize your own eyes. You're gonna be like, okay, it's okay. Like he has my eyes. Like it's it's fine. You know, everyone's circumcised over there. It's gonna be fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> Everyone loves a good blowjob over there, giving and receiving. It's gonna be fine. Peace is possible. You know, you just gotta. That's what gotta you call pay. it. Peace is possible. Peace is Brought possible. Hummus and Brazzers. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Sabra Hummus <laughs> and Brazzers. Brazzers was started by two Lebanese dudes in Montreal. So there you go. Middle East. Boom. Why can't G? Everything we are is more right united there. than you think. You know what the number one uh, porn search category is? Like porn search prompt is in all of the Middle East? What's that? IDF checkpoint porn. What? Yeah, really? like those Israeli <laughs> checkpoints. That's the number one search. That's the sites? number one porn uh, search in the Middle East. They're all over there Khalifa. dreaming about fucking those hot IDF girls. That's wow. Well, okay, I'll have to check that out. I guess. Yeah, peace is possible, man. We just gotta. We just gotta put out. <laughs> uh, if you're on the road, who do you want in shotgun? Who's your favorite traveling buddy? Uh, lately it's been Amish Patel. He's he's really ah! good. He's really reliable. You know, Amish, I know him. Yeah, yeah. yeah drives uh he's he's very reliable he's awesome. also just great for morale um i tend to so one thing about me is like i don't know how this came to be but most of my consistent like most loyal paying fans are women i don't know why that's who just always comes up to my shows and pays buys the most tickets i'm flattered so i've never been you know there's a lot of shows now that are like this is the all women's show, or this is the all gay show, or this is all black. Well, they've been doing really that for a while, yeah. I don't really do that. I don't. I don't feel the need to like advertise it as such. But I do always book a lot of women, and that's because I feel like I owe it to those paying fans to kind of have more of them reflected on the stage. If, if I know a lot of women are going to come pay, I don't want to just put guys up. So yeah, keep it interesting. Always have, always have. Uh, like so, lovers and laughs. We did it was me, Amish two women last time i went there was me and three women and it's just kind of kind of keep it fresh you know it's you're on the road you don't know anyone you want to make friends in yeah. that town it's a lot easier if you're with ladies too that with helps. women yeah yeah um, just helps, you know favorite place to eat on the road or is there oh, something that you, okay something something that you ate that st stood out i don't know if you want to shout out an establishment go right ahead or if you want to shout out something you ate, or what sticks out? I don't remember any specific establishment. Uh, there is like this taco truck in Bayfield that everyone will just know what I'm talking about. It's pretty good. I don't know what it's called, but uh, it's pretty good. But generally, it's always just, we always just go to kind of like off the beat diners and stuff, you know, because you're in a small town. Like, I'm not really trying to get their pad thai or right. their exotic indian food you know i get a lot of that in toronto so it's always just kind of like continental but 
good breakfast. Just those those dingy breakfast spots on the road yeah. are just always the best, you know? Nothing that, beats a greasy spoon. Yeah, just a greasy spoon on the road is amazing. Best stand-up comic you've seen right now that people should look out for. Who's coming up in the ranks? Um, okay, definitely Jordan Brown. Jordan okay. Brown. She just came out with an album. Uh, it's called uh, I Can Explain. Uh, she's She's been at a lot of my shows for like fucking eight years now. So obviously I've worked with her a bunch. But uh, just super, super funny. Very hardworking. Very talented. Um, great, great person to be around on the road. Like always, you know, very helpful. Capping it off though, the best advice you ever got in this industry? Um... Stay humble. Nice. That's a good one. Stay humble. Stay humble. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, like we sold out those three shows. And then last night I was in Toronto. There was like 20 people. You know what I mean? Like okay. you can you can be on top of it one day. And then the next day, you know, you brought back down. Or a lot of times we'll do a really big show. We'll make 400 bucks or whatever. There was 100 people there. Great. Whatever. And then what do we do? The night's still young. We go and we find an open mic. Right. We go to an open mic and we usually almost always just end up bombing. <laughs> just like I've I've and I don't remember a time I've done a big show and then gone to an open mic and done well. It's usually just like a total bomb and you go, "Wait a minute. I I was like the king shit a second ago." And that's the perfect way just stay humble like, "No, yeah, you were a second ago, but this is now. What's next is important." So Stay humble, yeah. Which I have a hard time doing. I mean, we gotta, we all gotta learn. <laughs> the ego wants what the ego gets, but I mean, I hear you, Van Dodd. I thank you so much for your time today, buddy. Thank I you. appreciate the work you do both on the stage, but more importantly, off the stage as a producer promoting comics in this city, promoting comics throughout this country. Uh, uh, I love your work, and I uh, hope to catch uh, one of the shows coming up. What do you have coming up? Anything? Uh, anybody should be on the. On the lookout well, for um, what's the next I'm show? Just doing two. Well, okay, so I'm actually going to Texas for a week. Hey, uh, go to Austin. <laughs> you know what they now, say? Don't mess with Texas. Well, I'm going to the Sunset Strip in Austin. Uh, that's Brian Redband's club. Okay, and I'm going to try to do Kill Tony, and I'm doing some shows out there as well. So Kill Tony's a great show. Yeah, Kill yeah, Tony's yeah, a yeah. Great show. So I'm looking um, forward to a week in Austin, and then we'll get back to it. Awesome, buddy. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And uh, we'll we'll catch you the, we'll catch you down the road. I'll catch you come. I'll catch out a couple of shows you got coming up here in the city. But yeah, we'll hook up. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks awesome. for having me. This has been another great episode. I hope you like, subscribe, share, tag a friend, tag me, play tag. You're it. I don't care. Send me money. Whatever it is that you got to do to keep this podcast afloat. But I thank you for listening. I'm Vince Tedesco, and this is the You Should Do Comedy podcast. This is a journey.